I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-Minute Parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-Minute Parenting Podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. I received a question, you know, from a parent worried about the amount of time that their teenager was spending on their phone, you know, texting, messaging versus how little time they were actually speaking in person to someone, you know, directly in conversation or engaged with friends in person. They were worried that this was going to impact and was already impacting on their ability to express themselves emotionally or to even to read emotional tone in the conversations. And I was curious about the question because it seems so specific. So I messaged back and said, you know, can you give me an example of what it is you're talking about so that I might better understand, you know, the question that you're asking? And the parent came back to me and cited an example of how they arrived home you know, after a day at work to see that the kitchen was in an absolute state. There were dishes, pots, pans, clearly food had been prepped, eaten, enjoyed, and then, you know, everything just disregarded around the place. There was evidence that the teenager in the house had baked and it was just scattered everywhere. So, you know, while there might have been cakes, there was also the evidence of the making of all those cakes. And the parent in question said, that she had sighed loudly, um, grumbled, you know, audibly and had made plenty of noise, tidying up, banging, you know, not being quite rough with drawers and, and said, you know, that annoyance was oozing out of her. So she felt it is so clear that I'm annoyed and irritated by all of the way I'm behaving, the noise I'm making and how I'm doing things. But she said her teenager had totally ignored her while she was doing this. And then she snapped and yelled at her, look at the state of the place. Why would you leave it like this? It's not fair that I should be tidying it. To which her teenager had simply said, why didn't you say that you were annoyed? I'm not a mind reader. How would I know that? And then this parent was even further incensed that her body language and her tone, she felt, had said very clearly how she was feeling. So why couldn't her teenager pick that up? And then she began to go, oh, my goodness, is there something wrong? You know, what is this all about the phones? Can she not read people? What does this mean for her as she grows up? And that hence the question that I got. And, you know, then it made so much sense to me. And I frequently hear from parents who insist that their teenagers are not communicating with them or with anyone. And then a teenager who becomes exasperated, declaring, I don't know what you're talking about. I am communicating 24-7. And what they mean is that they are switched on 24-7. They are staring, you know, navel gazing, staring into their phones on their laps. Um, you know, they're just sending emojis, messages, things like that. But something is getting lost in that communication. I see from a teenager's point of view that they are actively communicating as they see it. But I also see from, you know, the parent point of view looking at that going, no, you're not, because that's not communication. That's a very limited form of communication. And there is so much more to it. You know, there's no eye contact. A teenager might be, as they could say, communicating 24 seven, but they might not lock eyes with anybody throughout the day. They might not open their mouths to speak. Um, they may not hear somebody else speak, words said. There may be no physical interaction, you know, no physical proximity uh, to read or observe body cues. And and what does that mean for, as I would call it, emotional fluency? You know, what does that mean for our, our ability to be able to 
get a sense of what somebody is thinking and feeling in a moment to make sense of their behavior. Maybe, you know, my ability to read how my words or behavior is being experienced by somebody else is compromised if I don't know how to read body language, if I don't know that how somebody says something is as important as what they say. Throughout their adolescence, you know, I believe that our job as parents, as important adults in their lives, we're seeking to support our teenagers to develop emotional fluency so that they can grow into better attuned um, adults, you know, that they are more in tune with their own emotional needs. You know, they develop a more in-depth understanding of their own inner emotional world why they feel how they do in particular situations or in relation to particular people, because this understanding will enable them to then read emotional cues in others better as well. You know, they can struggle to convey their emotional state with words due to that complex nature of feelings, you know, our own and others and the overlapping area between the two. Like it's it's actually hard. You know, I don't want to make light of this. You know, feelings and emotions are hard. Emotional language takes time to develop. It takes years throughout our children's development for them to develop that language. And so they tend to over rely on behavior as a means of communicating what are confused and conflicted emotional states. Um, What I mean by that is that like we'll often see our teenagers do something as and in that they're trying to say to us, I'm feeling confused, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I had a really bad day, but they're not using words to say that. They're using maybe defiant or obstreperous type of behavior. And it'd be easy for us just to respond to the behavior and to miss the emotional state that's underpinning it. When what our teenager needs is that we can reflect back to them that we've heard the emotional state that they're communicating to us and that we can connect with them in a bid to help them also understand what's going on. Conversation analysis is an activity that I like to do around this. And I just want to talk you through that at this stage because I think it's a nice activity that you could do Certainly try and do it this week if you can. I like to use it um, around building emotional fluency and emphasizing the importance of attuning to whole body communication. So how you do it is that you te- you're you going to tell a short story to your teenager. It should be short, but it should be meaningful and it should be something that you have a strong emotional response to. So something you feel really happy about or really annoyed about or really sad about, something you have a strong feeling about, okay? You're going to say to your teenager, here's a pen and paper, sit there, I'm going to tell you a really short story. The first time I tell it to you, I want you just to observe my face, only my face. And you're going to note down what you observe on my face when I tell you the story. So that would be things like wide eyes or furrowed brow or something like that or scrunched up nose, uh, wide mouth or, you know, narrow mouth, whatever it is, you know, facial muscles. They're going to observe that and they're going to note that down. Then you are going to tell them the story a second time, exactly the same way. And this time your direction is that they should observe only your body. Okay, and they're going to note down what they observe in your body. That could be hunched shoulders. um, That could be that you are, you know, twiddling your fingers or bouncing your knee, something like that about your body that they're observing. And then you will tell them the same story in the same way a third and final time. This time, your direction is that they should observe your speech, what you are saying and how you are saying it. So on their pen and paper or with with their pen, sorry, on the paper, they're going to note down things like, 
you know, the type of words you're using, strong words that jump out of them. But they're also going to notice things like the tone of your voice, the pace of your speech. Is it quick? Is it slow? Is it high pitched? Is it low pitched? Does it vary? Is it very monotone in the middle? What kind of musicality are they picking up in your tone of voice and the pattern of your speech and any standout words that you've used? Okay, they note that down. And then at the end of that, you say to them, okay, tell me how I'm feeling about what I told you. And they might say, well, you're feeling really happy about it or you're feeling sad or you're feeling angry. And then you say, tell me how you know that. And they have to feed back to you. I know it because of the way your face moved, your body moved and the way your speech was. And you're doing this in a kind of fun way. This shouldn't be like an interrogation, um, but you should do this in a fun way so that through repeated experience, because then you can flip and say, now you do it and I'll do the same for you. They're getting to realize that actually there's so much more to conversation than just a word or just something that might get texted. I have to watch face, body, the words used and the tone of voice. And it's just a fun way of doing it. I really like that. Another one that I do, though, is an adaptation of feelings Jenga that I do with younger children. This time I take the Jenga blocks and with a Sharpie, I write uh, on each block uh, the phrase something that and then I might put in something that I like is something that annoys me is something that worries me is something that confuses me is something that excites me is something I look forward to is whatever. I put a variety of phrases and as we take the blocks out, we must finish the phrase. Something that I like is whatever. Something that I don't like is whatever. And you go through it that way and you're an active participant. And it's a nice way of kind of delving in deeper to feelings, because I think if we want to encourage emotional fluency in our teens, teenagers we have to nurture a landscape an emotional landscape in our homes so that emotions can grow and develop and we do this by creating a containing environment within our homes and within the parent-teenager relationship itself that ensures that every family member every family member feels heard feels valued feels respected and understood through a felt sense of patience acceptance empathy tolerance and Yes, shared joy, embracing those opportunities for a laugh and some shared joy. And I know I read that and you go, God, Joanna, that sounds idyllic. And it certainly does. Who wouldn't want that in their homes and relationships? But bear in mind that emotional fluency doesn't just happen. It's evolved and developed within the parent-child relationship from infancy right up to and through adulthood. It's not enough that we love and care for our children. They have to feel loved and cared for. And that is achieved when we can meet and contain who and how they are and reflect back to them our understanding and acceptance of them in this way. I see and I feel who you are and I accept you for exactly that. You don't have to change for me. I, I meet you where you are and I love and care for you as you are. People thrive in the containment of demonstrative love and affection. We all need that in our lives. That's not just for teenagers. And this is why we do communication with our children and young people rather than simply speaking it. We don't just say, I love you. There are countless ways during the day that you are doing I love you, that you are showing it. So, you know, just even pause now and bring to mind, ask yourself how you do acts of love, care, affection for your teenager. OK, just really spend a couple of minutes and bring that to mind. Perhaps it's having a hot chocolate in the car when you collect them from school. 
Um, perhaps you have their favorite jeans out of the wash almost as soon as they went into the laundry basket because you know they're going to be looking for them over the weekend. That is an act of love. I get you. I know what you need. And I'm here to meet that need for you. And it's a doing, not saying thing. Maybe it's when you ensure that you make eye contact and smile at them daily, at least morning and afternoon and evening, three times that at least you're locking eyes and just a small smile, even if it's only a few seconds, that every single day that you say I love you and that you accompany that phrase by offering a hug, a physical action, anything like that. And I'm sure you've endless examples yourself, um, but just to remind yourself, actually, yeah, I do it. I do this communication all the time. Now find ways that I can do more communication about other things. Also bring to your mind how your teenager might be telling, telling you, quote unquote, you know, that they love you and they appreciate you, even if saying I love you or saying thank you is not frequent. You know, might there be cups of tea made for you without them being asked for? Might there be an occasion, maybe a few, but even the one occasion that the dishwasher load went on without a battle? Or maybe your favorite TV show was recorded when you were running late and you would have missed it. Small little acts. These shouldn't have to be these huge, you know, occasion acts of love um, or care. It's often in the daily small little things. These are gestures of love and care and they're spoken in actions over words. And I think it's building those, you know, you've got this little breadcrumb trail of examples of that, but then building on that, nurturing that and that you are building emotional fluency because emotional fluency isn't just words. It's also actions. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15 Minute Parenting.